It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 26th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As you may have heard earlier this week, the independent group of TDs have asked the government to hold a referendum on neutrality. Enshrining neutrality into the Constitution is one thing. Defining what neutrality means, however, is an altogether different thing. Today's debate on neutrality provides us with an important opportunity to clarify what Ireland's policy of military neutrality does and does not actually mean. In Ireland's case, our policy of military neutrality, as practiced by successive governments over many decades, means Ireland does not participate in military alliances or common or mutual defence arrangements. And let me be very clear on this. This government has no plans to alter this policy. It's not part of the government's agenda. It's not the government's programme for government. And I've been a member of successive governments that have, despite all of the uh, allegations and accusations, have never changed our policy of military um, neutrality. That's the Tawnish uh, Michal Martin. Now, the government opposed uh, the motion on neutrality yesterday, saying it preempted a dull debate that it's planning to hold itself. This follows the Consultative Forum on International Security and the report from the chair, Louise Richardson. The motion on neutrality, the government said, was actually closing down that debate. Many people have been very consistent on this issue uh, over many years, um, as Fianna Fáil has, uh, and this government has, and indeed um, I welcome uh, the, the recognition of what Fianna Fáil TD and Minister and International Statesman Frank Aiken, his recognition uh, in the motion, that is welcome. But I have to say, there's also been some crazy stuff said in this debate today. I mean, Deputy Collins accused the government of stoking up unrest. Deputy McGrath mentioned something about sending out bombs. Deputy Cronin, I think you described the EU as a thoughtless and godforsaken institution. Deputy Gannon mentioned, and I'm not saying he was crazy in this context, but mentioned Kosovans in this country don't want conflict, and I'm absolutely certain they don't. He's right on that. But our peacekeepers in Kosovo have been cited by Sinn Féin in their policy document on neutrality as a threat to our neutrality, as an erosion of our neutrality. It's in a list, peacekeeping in Kosovo, under, under a list of things that have eroded our neutrality. So there's been a lot of things said in this debate uh, that don't add up. A lot of criticism of the US. Take a look at President's, President, I don't speak for President Biden, but take a look at his last few tweets. They've all been about the Palestinian people and about aid 
and of its support for Palestinian people. That's Minister of State and Local TD Thomas Byrne speaking to that debate in the Dáil yesterday on neutrality. Mark Power, co-chair of the Irish anti-war movement and the founding member of the Irish Neutrality League, joins us now. A very good morning to you, Mark, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. What do you make of the government's position on this? I'm sure you welcome how the Tánsha spelled out for all of us yesterday that there are no plans to alter the existing policy, the policy, I suppose, that most of us would perceive to be a neutral position. Uh, thank you, Michael. It's Mark Price, by the way. Um, oh. And also, just one, other, just one slight correction. I was just one of the founders of the Irish Neutrality League, not, not the founder. My um, apologies, so Mark. My, my, my uh, no apologies. worries. Not, no worries at all. Uh, I, uh, what do I make of it? Well, uh, a lot goes back to these consultative forums which were held and the report uh, was published last week by Louise Richardson. And um, what you see here is uh, statements about we have no intention of abandoning neutrality or of changing our policy of military neutrality. Um, but then very definite, subtle but very definite attacks on a number of key parts of Irish neutrality, um, which have to do with the triple lock, uh, which is, was introduced following the Nice uh, referendum mm. um, and the Lisbon uh, referendums, uh, which makes sure that Irish peacekeepers can only uh, act when the UN Security Council has agreed. Um, well, and that, then that, that's one the, of the three locks. It also needs the agreement of sorry, the, the doll and the government, of course. Exactly. Yeah. And what, uh, what she, she reports, her, her report isn't unbiased. She very much sides with the main contributions that were made to this co- uh, f- uh, conferences, which were from defence and security analysts and experts from places like Chatham House and the Royal uh, United Services Institute and so forth. Um, they're promoting uh, a security-oriented um, position. And when Michal Martin stands up and talks about cyber threats and threats to undersea cables, he's doing the same thing. In fact, Michael, there's a, a lot of talk from the government about this increased security threats that we face today, how much more perilous the world is today, frequent references to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But people should remember that the world is not nearly always in a state of serious threats and and conflict and mm. so on. This is not a new phenomenon. Um, well, the Tarnashev was talking about the, the was talking about the very real uh, event in, in this country, the attack on the HSE uh, in his speech yesterday, uh, and the impact that that had on all of us in, in this country. Uh, and I'm sure that that's something that will be felt for some time to come. Let alone the uh, the, the uh, impact that it uh, took on services at the time. But, it's a, but Michael, it's a red herring in the, in, the, in the discussion. It's yet another man of straw, red herring. Forgive my multiple use of cliches there, uh, most of which I barely understand. Uh, the, the, the threat of cyber security, of course it's real, but it's a police matter. And of course it requires international cooperation. Um, such cooperation would not ab- mean abandoning neutrality. Um, it would not, you know, it, this is a red herring. As, as too, and crucially, is the whole question of undersea cables and the Nord Stream. I think they've kind of now given up 
darkly referring to the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline because it's pretty clear now that it wasn't the Russians who did that. Why would they blow up their own uh, pipeline? Um, but the idea that we must somehow or other join uh, military alliances or cooperative, whatever it is, PESCO or whatever, mm. in order to protect undersea cables. This is what... This, this is what the deputy who mentioned about, uh, was it Joan Collins, who talked about stirring up uh, fear and unrest. This is what they're doing. And what, what they're doing is, and this is what these consultative forums are about, was about undermining the intention, the real strongly felt feeling of Irish people that we should act independently. And that means according to the UN Charter, mm. to international law. Mm. And their argument is, the whole market's argument is, that any constitutional amendment would tie our hands. And the subtext here, and obviously this is a matter of interpretation, is that in the Security Council, because China and Russia have are permanent members, they have a veto, therefore we couldn't do what we really wanted to do. Yeah. And all your listeners have to do is think back to the invasion of Iraq in 2003, when... It was the shoe was on the other foot. It was the it was our allies to whom we are so called politically aligned, who were tearing up international law, and we found ourselves in this position where we were in fact facilitating um, the most disastrous breach of international law in terms of what happened then and subsequently. And um, so there's there's so much duplicity going on here, but you really have to look very closely to see it. It's really very very subtle but very, very firm. May I mention something about NATO, Michael? Mm-hmm. Um, in this report from Louise Richardson, she goes, some contributors to the forum said that NATO is an aggressive force, but most um, members agree that it's a purely defensive alliance, so which she goes, comes down very much firmly on the side of NATO. Um, when Russia invaded Ukraine in, in February 22, um, for, for, for these people, it was like history began at that moment. There was no prehistory. Russia just did this because they're bad. There was no lead up to it. Therefore, the NATO expansion in the East couldn't be talked about. Uh, and therefore, everything after February 22 in terms of NATO expansion is justified. Because, of course, we need to protect ourselves against these horrible Russians. And think of just, I'm uh, really struck by the comparison uh, this week. When anyone tries to talk about what happened before October the 7th of this year, yeah, when, you're not uh, allowed to talk about it. When Hamas just, uh, uh, just, attacked Israel, yes. Yes, in other words, mm. uh, exactly. In other words, Hamas did this out of just this pure badness, which just exploded on October the 7th, and there's no prehistory. Mm. Rishi Sunak had to go and say, we agree with Israel, there's no vacuum about condemning uh, Antonio Guterres' comments about this didn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, it's almost indescribable. It's like, I mean, I hate quoting George Orwell, but so Orwellian, all of this. You're not allowed to discuss history. You're not allowed to discuss the reality of how these wars happen, mm. how they come about because of actors behaving in certain ways over decades, and that these, these terrible atrocities and invasions by Russia and uh, by Hamas, they didn't just happen out of the blue. Yeah. They happened in a context, and it's the should, should, context that Irish people are really, really aware of. Should, the, wor- should, 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 should the world come to the Palestinians' defence? <laughs> 
Well, yes, absolutely. Well, we should, here's what we should do. Right. We should insist that Israel comply with international law. And if they and, don't? And if they don't, we should remove their right to take part in the international community as equal members. They lose their... They're calling for the resignation of the, the Secretary General because he dares to bring up history while mm. giving the most yeah. incredible uh, And they're not going to issue visas to UN uh, personnel. Absolutely. But so, Israel, for, for decades, Israel has been in breach mm. and has been producing this situation. But should and, the Israeli uh, onslaught on Gaza be fought? Should be, what's the word you use, Michael? Fought. Should, 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 um, should uh, we come to the defence of the Palestinians? Well, I mean, really, strictly speaking, there is a very strong argument for that, just as there was for going to the defence of the Iraqis against the US in 2003. Would you but support course, Would you support Irish troops defending Palestinians? I would support a P. I, I would I would support a US Security Council resolution, which would uh, advocate peacekeeping forces to to protect international law in in all of these cases. That's what I would support. And this is what people, Irish people mean by neutrality, active neutrality, um, is not taking sides. Because mm. if you say that we're worried, if they say that we're worried that Russia and China will tie our hands yeah. at the UN Security Council. Um, but look uh, at, out, look at, outside of uh, a resolution at uh, the UN Security Council level, which would seem impossible, what should ha- happen, uh, do you believe? Uh, if Ireland wasn't neutral, should we be sending troops over to Gaza to defend the Palestinians? Um, unilaterally, no. We right. should be... Uh, we should be advocating for as part of, as part of an alliance. So you're choosing not to be neutral when it suits, no. depending no, depe- depending on the conflict. No, that's not it. Because uh, the, what we should be advocating for is a peacekeeping force. In other words, uh, we should be there to 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 defend international law. To do whatever is possible to protect the civilians. That, that's because you've made a determination that Israel is breaking international law. I'm not sure that as many people would disagree with you in this country, but there's certainly uh, plenty of people who would disagree, uh, namely the UK and the United States, it would seem. Well, that's the point here, isn't it? That when Can I just talk generally about the Irish situation? The insistence uh, on the part of Michal Martin and, and so on, uh, on this distinction between military neutrality and political alignment. Have you noticed this language? And you can be forgiven for being confused by this because they insist on this terminology. And what they really want to do here is signal to our betters, I mean, if you know what I mean by that, signal to the EU, particularly in the US, that we are fully on their side in all of their policy decisions uh, however, you must understand that we have this uppity little population and a president who uh, insists on, you know, keeping us out of wars. Uh, and then, you know, patently he goes on about the freeloading Irish the other day, a typical argument. When are we going to stand up and take our responsibility seriously? Um, but this notion of military neutrality is, it is so that we can continue to take sides in these things. Yes, why don't we take the sides? Or why didn't we take the sides of Iraq against the U.S.? Or why don't we take the sides of the people in Gaza against Israel? We can't just be doing this. What we can do is fight for an international order, a rules-based order. 
And this is a fight really worth sticking to and, and doing everything we can. And this would be... This is why okay, but we've already but we've already had a confused uh, discussion. Uh, I hope you agree about what neutrality means, uh, and if we were to hold a, a referendum, uh, which would uh, have a, an outcome of enshrining neutrality into the constitution, the question is, and it's the question that the Tarnished have put to the doll yesterday: What does that mean? How do you define neutrality? Well, a very, very good suggestion. There are a number of possibilities. In 2003, an all-party Oireachtas Committee on the Constitution uh, in relation to international affairs came up with the following suggestion. And it's really simple. Uh, and that is that when in Article 29, which at the moment says that Ireland uh, respects the generally... Uh, the, uh, Ireland adheres to the generally respected interna- principles of international law as its rule of conduct... Uh, in its relation with other states, if rec- the, the committee recommended that you add to that and individuals and be bound by those rules. And this was not in response to the Horgan case, but it came at the same time, roughly. And basically, the Horgan case said the Constitution doesn't bind the government. It, 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 it's just a uh, kind of a, a principle statement and that nobody can take any action based on it. Our government are terrified that people would be people like Ed Horgan, you know, these kind of people will be taking cases inhibiting our involvement in various actions. Um, but this is a really simple thing because, in the end of the day, we all agree with the UN Charter. It's really simple. It's like don't go in and kill civilians, don't go in and steal territory. Blah blah. All of these things are so basic. Things get confused when we have the mixing up of interests with these principles and that, you know, this constant thing about political alignment, what does that mean in practice? It means signaling to the the larger economic blocks of which we consider ourselves to be dependent and that we are reliable and that we're not going to scare away investment and so on. Hence the the allowing the challenge to be used uh, disgracefully for the last 20 years. Okay. All right, Mark, uh, we've kind of gone over time, but before uh, you leave us uh, this morning, I, I know uh, that uh, there'll be a demonstration taking place in Dublin on Saturday week uh, that you want to invite people to. Yes, thanks for reminding uh, that. I, I got Scott to mention that. On the 4th of November, um, Irish Neutrality League and a bunch of other groups um, are going are, are organising a demonstration um, starting at uh, 1 p.m. in the Garden of Remembrance. I hope I get that right. And uh, it will be to protest for neutrality and to protest um, against the breach of breaches going on at the moment uh, in in Gaza and, and a number of other issues. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I, the, the, the note I have here says it's two o'clock at the Garden of Remembrance Saturday oh, week. God. That's that's the okay. four, that's the fourth of November at two thank o'clock. Thank God you're thank God you're here. Uh, well, at, le- well at, at, at least there's one thing I can read right uh, <laughs> following that terrible mistake earlier on. Apologies again for the mix-up with your name, but thanks as oh, always. No, not at all. But thanks for thanks. I'm so glad you had that stuff because I was repeatedly told to mention this. Of course, <laughs> okay. uh, carried Very away. good. Well, two but, um, o'clock Saturday. 
Saturday week, Garden of Remembrance. Mark, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Mark Price, co-chair of the Irish Anti-War Movement and founding member of the Irish Neutrality League. Our telephone number 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 086 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, so of uh, the comments coming uh, to us uh, this morning, a text from somebody who says, Hi Michael, just wondering, do any of your listeners know what's going on with uh, the NX bus the last few months with the amount of cancellations and no shows? It's just getting beyond a joke to try and get to and from work. Well, we had some conversation about the buses on the programme earlier in the week and how they're failing to deliver the service leading to the kind of problems that you're talking about. Uh, apparently there's problems recruiting drivers and mechanics, but I suppose uh, the simple way of putting it is they're the excuses we're hearing they're failing to deliver a service and it really just isn't good enough and it's about time that somebody banged some heads together. John is in Navin and he says, uh, Dear Mike, RTA did a great disservice to the elderly folk of Ireland by cancelling the Airtel service. Many elderly people, uh, are, if they're hard of hearing, get their news from reading the Airtel tech service. How many elderly people, some of them living alone, have a smartphone? RTA have plenty of money for junkets, but they can't maintain a vital service that benefits so many elderly people in the country. Thank you, John, for that. Jim in Navin then says, Michael, isn't it sad that madman at the head of the slaughter of innocent children, women and elderly people in Ukraine, Israel and Palestine can't see through their evil ways. So-called peacekeepers who fund and back them are just as guilty and they all have blood of innocent people on their hands. Thank you indeed, Jim and Navin, for that. Now, uh, just wanted to mention a letter in the Irish Independent this morning that comes from Kieran Burke in Ashburn in County Meath. Uh, I think Fine Gael supporters will be happy with this. He says, why would anyone want a change of government when the country is thriving? Recent opinion polls indicate there is a desire to change our current government to a more nationalist form of administration. We've seen what disaster nationalism has brought to our neighbours across the water in the form of Brexit. Before we go down that road let us look at where the current system has brought us since the crash of 2008. Unemployment is at its lowest in 20 years. 10 years ago there were 1.84 million people employed. Today the number is 2.6 million. We are one of the wealthiest countries in the world as measured by GDP. The second wealthiest country in Europe as measured by GDP and have the second highest growth rate in Europe as measured by GDP. We also have the second highest budget surplus in Europe. Our economy was ranked number one in Europe this month by The Economist magazine. Our life expectancy is also the highest in Europe. However, people would want to try a different form of government but not I, says Kieran Burke in Ashburn in County Meath. As I say, that's a letter that's published today in the Irish Independent. And the reason that I read that out for you is because it's very similar to what the Taoiseach had to say about Fine Gael's performance in government since 2011 when he was speaking in the Dáil yesterday. This was following a lot of criticism from Independent TD Matt Shanahan, who is in County Wexford. And at one stage, he actually... Uh, compared Leo Vradker to Jeremy Corbyn. Nowhere does the manifesto say spend a disproportionate amount of public investment in Dublin or Cork, but that is what we have gotten. 
Taoiseach, it's my opinion if this government wants the support of the common man, it needs to live its political ethics, ideals and history and stop acting like the government of Ballymagash. This government is letting entire regions stew in their anger. It is likely when served, these dishes will be best served cold. Thank, th thanks, Deputy. I, I, I think in my um, 20 years in politics, I've often been compared to uh, a particular British politician, Jeremy, Corb Jeremy Corbyn, wasn't, wasn't the one. Uh, it's been the first time that I've been uh, 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 compared or aligned to him as a politician. I, I know I've moved to the centre in my middle age. I didn't think I'd move quite that far left. <laughs> but um, th thank you for giving us uh, um, something to ponder anyway. Um, just in relation to 2011, Deputy, and, and you're right to say that my party uh, has been in office in various coalitions since 2011. Um, we haven't achieved everything we sought to achieve, but I think on the basis of any objective analysis, our country is a much better place than it was back then. Uh, we've gone from mass unemployment uh, and mass youth unemployment uh, to full employment. Uh, we've gone from a situation where the IMF were staying over in the Marion Hotel and calling the shots uh, to a position whereby we're in charge of our own affairs again and can, and can make choices. Our public finances are in good order. Uh, educational attainment for children and young people has never been better. Our life expectancy has never been longer. Uh, and the UN, and I hope we all agree the UN uh, doesn't vote for Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil the Greens, they're objective. Uh, the UN uh, consistently rates us as one of the top 10 countries in the world uh, in terms of, uh, of human development. Um, that is not in any way to diminish the very real challenges that we have, particularly in relation to the housing shortage um, and access to healthcare. Now that's uh, Taoiseach Leo Radker speaking in the Dáil yesterday. I'm sure Kieran Burke in Ashburn will be delighted with what he heard and uh, probably the same with Fine Gael supporters. You're welcome to tell us what you think, if you wish to, of what Leo Radker was saying there or indeed uh, what you think of Fine Gael's record in government since 2011. one 800 um, uh, 1-800-658-086-1-800-658 is our text and WhatsApp number. Uh, we'll stay with the Taoiseach uh, because a big, very important meeting taking place today with uh, Leo Vradker and indeed the leaders of all of uh, the 27 European countries, an EU Council summit uh, and uh, this is what we can expect. Uh, I expect that the evolving, escalating and tragic situation in the Middle East will be central to discussions when we meet this week. Leaders will discuss the evolving crisis, including the UN's call for humanitarian ceasefire by all parties and groups to hostilities, which we support. This would allow vital aid to reach civilians in Gaza, uh, and this has been echoed by this House. The escalating situation is very concerning. In addition to over 1,400 victims in Israel of the Hamas attack, over 5,000 people are reported to be killed in Israeli airstrikes on Gaza and over one million displaced. Israel, like all states, has a right to defend itself. It has, has suffered a shocking and brutal assault. However, it must act at all times within the parameters of international humanitarian law. How it responds now matters to its future and its own security. Defense cannot mean indiscriminate retaliation, and we must always distinguish between Hamas and Palestinian civilians who live in Gaza. The instruction by the Israeli, Israeli military to civilians in Gaza to move southwards is unworkable and dangerous. The UN has been unequivocal that this will lead to a seri serious humanitarian consequences. Civilian infrastructure should be protected and there should be no restriction on essential supplies to people in Gaza 
whether it's food, fuel, water or medicines. Right. That's the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar spelling out how he will represent Ireland at the EU Council Summit today. We were hearing about uh, that uh, rally that will be taking place on Saturday week with Mark Price a little bit earlier on. Betty Daly is texting us saying uh, let's see how many anti-everything hooligans turn up and cause trouble at what should be a peacekeeping parade. Thank you indeed, Betty, for your text to the programme. You can text us or WhatsApp us on 086 1800 658. You can phone us on 041 983 2000 and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks to Paddy Duffy texting us uh, this morning saying it wouldn't be fair on you, Michael, if I was to text you and tell you (laughs) what I thought of Fine Gael's 12 years in government. Thanks very much, Paddy. I think it probably would be a a very long text, if I'm not mistaken. I say that based on some of the other texts that you've sent to us over recent months. Uh, But thank you indeed uh, for your message. Uh, Our text number, as I say, is 0861. 800-658. That's 086-1800-658 if you want to make comment on the programme today by sending us a text or WhatsApp message. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Now, let's uh, go back to the doll and another local issue that has been raised uh, this time with the Taoiseach. I have to again raise the issue of the chaos caused by the obelisk bridge um, and the adverse effect it's having on traffic congestion in Drogheda. I've told you previously I'd liaised with TII, Loud County Council, the Minister and the Department. They all passed the or pass the parcel. Now, when I raised it with you several weeks ago, you had said you were aware of the inconvenience it was causing in Drogheda and that you'd revert to the Minister. The Minister got back with again passed the parcel, showed absolutely no interest, Taoiseach, and with, with the bridge closed and traffic diverted into Drogheda till at least the middle of next year, traffic levels, congestion levels are at unbelievable levels. Now, the rush hour traffic congestion lasts all day long. A 10-minute journey lasts an hour. Businesses are seriously suffering. And given that that Minister Ryan appears to have no interest in in it whatsoever, can someone in government, Taoiseach, please get TII, Loud County Council, Celtic Road Groups together to formulate some sort of workable solution. Drahad is at a standstill seven days a week. Literally, no exaggeration. Thanks. Thanks, Deputy, and I, I appreciate the inconvenience that's being caused for people in Drahad. I, I will make further inquiries. Um, uh, obviously, it is between the Council and TII and the contractor to resolve this, but uh, I'll make further inquiries and see if I can help. All right, that's uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar uh, giving uh, a commitment there to look at uh, the situation and inquire further as to why alternative arrangements haven't been put in place since the closure of uh, the Obelisk Bridge. He was responding to Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, who was highlighting the problems that have occurred as a result. Now, uh, we had hoped uh, this morning to talk about a survey from Aviva Insurance uh, uh, we're just uh, having a problem with our, our phone lines but it, it is very interesting data and I'm sure uh, you heard it yesterday and we'd be interested to hear what you think about learner drivers 
on the road unaccompanied. Apparently, according to this survey, almost half or 49% of drivers believe that that rule should be scrapped. They also say that 25% of drivers think that the accompanied driver rule for learners should be scrapped until the backlog for driving tests is cleared and 19% of drivers believe there should be an amnesty given to learner drivers due to the large backlog of driving test applications. Uh, This was done last time round in 1979. Uh, but I suppose you could argue that the world has changed an awful lot since then and indeed so has uh, the roads and driving habits and the speeds that we drive at as well as uh, the number of cars on the road. Is it a, a fair thing to do to say to people we haven't got the wherewithal to test you, unfortunately. We should, but we haven't got the wherewithal, uh, which is a a brutal admission, I would think. Um, So we'll just let you drive without ever being tested to see if you're qualified. Uh, Or should uh, we just make people wait uh, under the circumstances? Uh, We'd like to hear from you on that. Our our telephone number 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. There's huge controversy in government, as you know, know about Ukrainian refugees and what they're entitled to at the moment and what they might be entitled to as time goes on. Uh, There is this idea, if not a proposal, that accommodation will be provided by the state for no more than three months. Uh, And the question is, well, what do people do after that? There's also a question about the entitlements and welfare rates uh, that uh, Ukrainian refugees are, are receiving in this country. The government seems to be divided on it. Let's hear what local TD Padre Tobin had to say about it yesterday. I hope you don't mind today. a little bit tired today and that's maybe because of the ferocious riot that happened to Cabinet uh, yesterday between yourselves Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Um, and maybe the cracks are appearing on, on the, uh, the coalition a, a, as we speak. Um, and I understand it's around the issue of migration, which is a sensitive topic and I know that most people understand that we have moral obligations to those who are fleeing war Uh, And we also have moral obligations uh, to make sure that we provide proper uh, accommodation and services. And most people want a sustainable immigration policy, but sustainable it isn't. And the Taunashta has admitted recently that government policy has created a pull effect, uh, that the offering of accommodation and social welfare is more attractive here in Ireland than pretty much elsewhere uh, in uh, Europe. Does the Taoiseach agree that given the capacity constraints in Ireland that the government need to equalise this offering with other EU countries to make sure that there isn't a pull effect in future? Now my worry is that the particular row that's happening at Cabinet is actually a cosmetic row. Uh, It's more about shifting the issue, the difficulties uh, with regards to providing accommodation from one department to another. So instead of we having large numbers of people living in emergency accommodation under Roderick O'Gorman's department, what we'll have is large number of people living in emergency accommodation under Dara uh, O'Brien's uh, department. So, Taoiseach, is this a, a real effort by the government to try to make the system sustainable, or is this a political effort to make sure that one political party is not holding this hot potato uh, come the next election? Right, those questions, or that statement, if you like, made by Padre Tobin in the Dáil yesterday. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Incredibly, at a time of record hospital overcrowding, your budget doesn't provide one additional red cent to fund even one 
additional hospital bed. And perhaps the most shocking thing is what your decision means for major clinical programs and national health strategies. So how much new money has been given to the new national stroke strategy, Taoiseach? Answer, zero. How much new money has been given to fund new medicines for patients fighting cancer? Zero. How much money has been given to improve our maternity services, Taoiseach? Zero. ADHD clinics that were promised two years ago still haven't been opened. How are they going to be funded, Taoiseach? And what do you say to those who are waiting for those clinics to open? Your decision will have a real impact on families who face some of the biggest challenges of their lives. Families that need government to fund major improvement in the health service, but instead you choose to make things even worse. The recruitment embargo means thousands of vital frontline posts that were supposed to come online will not be filled. Junior doctors, healthcare assistants, home helps. 7,000 vital posts needed for the winter ahead have already been scrapped. And the consequences for people will be very real. Make no mistake, Taoiseach, you make this choice in full knowledge of the consequences. Guaranteeing that the, that the crisis in our health service will continue, chronic waiting lists will continue, overcrowding will continue. That's uh, the Sinn Féin President, Mary Lou MacDonald, speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Liam Doran, former General Secretary of uh, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation and former member of uh, the Slanchicare Implementation Advisory Council, joins us now. Good morning to you, Liam. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme morning, today. Uh, do you believe that Mary Lou MacDonald was being unfair on the government in her criticism and indeed the concerns that she was voicing yesterday given that there's a record health budget for next year of 22.5 billion euro i try to be apolitical in my answer michael and say um, the health service has not received sufficient money to uh, meet the demands that are going to be placed upon it and therefore anyone who points that out is pointing out the truth the same way as Bernard Gloucester was pointing out that simple truth when he went on the media there last Sunday week and said that, you know, he will not have enough money to maintain the health service. Now, I, I blame all political parties and all governments of the last 30 years for the impasse and the crisis that we're in now. So I'm not going to support one over the other. Um, we've had no leadership in this country about developing a public health service. We have plenty of talk about it. And I've been on your program in the past talking about Slauncher Care. There wasn't any mention of Slauncher Care uh, in the budget. There wasn't any mention of the three uh, 250-bedded elective-only hospitals that are there. There wasn't any mention of a GP contract, which has to be redrawn to provide seven over seven community services. Um, there is progress on the consultant co public contract and so on. So we are in a very, very bad place. Um, there was feigned anger by politicians last week about what Bernard Gloucester said. I think they went out on Tuesday and they were all livid that he had said what he had said. Well, on that same day, uh, Michael, there were 478 people on trolleys, uh, nine of whom were in the Lourdes, uh, five of whom were in Navan. I didn't hear one mention in those ministerial leaks uh, and their feigned anger about what was going on. I didn't hear one mention about those 478 people. Yesterday, there was 582 people on trolleys. Mm. Uh, I didn't hear any minister coming out yesterday expressing concern 
about that. And was it on uh, Monday that there were 130 people on trolleys in one hospital uh, alone? Uh, undoubtedly the worst hospital in the country in Limerick. Uh, but Bernard Gloucester repeated uh, what he, he said on RTA over the weekend at uh, the Oireachtas Health. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Committee and he was supported, uh, Bernard Gloucester being the head of uh, the HSE, he was supported in what he was saying by uh, the chief civil servant in the Department of Health, Robert Watt. They sought two billion, they got 700, and that's a shortfall of 1.3 billion euro for health services next year. Is there any logical explanation for that, given that the country is awash with windfall taxes? No, Michael, there's no, there's no logic. Michael, we have had no leadership in this country for decades about the health service. And I mean that in, in, in the most positive way possible. In order to tell the people at large that if, we, if everybody wants a health service that never sleeps, everybody wants a health service that's open all hours, that provides multifaceted care in the community and in the hospital sector, it doesn't uh, uh, miss anyone, it doesn't leave anyone behind, you have speed of access and so on. To deliver that type of health service, Michael, is a very expensive social good. There's no point in pretending it isn't. It is. If you want to walk in to a hospital or to a health centre at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, the same way as 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, and find the infrastructure there, the access to diagnostics, the access to staff, that is an expensive if you like, provisioned by society. But it is a social good. Your health is of concern to me. My health is of concern to my neighbour because we all contribute to society and so on. But at that moment, we have no leadership. The same government that left the health service short last week in its budget uh, gave away tax breaks to people and got votes by doing that and so on. That's, that's the sad environment in which this takes place. But nobody seems to worry or mention any longer. We're almost de- developed an immunity now mm. to what happens in emergency departments that are overcrowded. When you speak about 130 people in Limerick, and that's as a direct result of that flawed, nonsensical, silly concept of reconfiguration, which was put forward in 2007-2008, when they closed Ennis, closed Nina, and made everything funnel into Dora Doyle, when it mm. wasn't any way sized to, to provide for that. The same way as the North East suffered, 
And you had that blarney spoken about running down Dundalk and running down Navan and running down Cavan so that everything funnels into Drogheda when it wasn't big enough. Now, Drogheda has got some extra beds since then. And the situation in Drogheda is better than it would have been had we not got those beds. But these politicians who feign anger because the health CEO calls it for what it is, we do not have enough money to maintain services. Mm. They, they, they don't express any concern anymore about those people who are on trolleys, the vast majority of whom are elderly. They can't survive when lights, in a department that never sleeps like an emergency department, they're waiting for a bed and they deserve far better. And we can afford far better, but we need leadership to do that. And then the madness upon madness, Michael, that is going on at the minute is that as part of this budget shortfall and so on, and, and, and the, the absence of development programs. I, I keep going on about the 250 mm-hmm. better elective hospitals in Dublin, Cork and Galway, which Slauncher Care mentioned. They've, they've been parked indefinitely. You don't even hear a, an idea of where they'll be, let alone a brick on the ground. We need capacity. We need beds, both acute and long-term, and we need staff, both professional and support. Yeah, so what do we get instead? We get an announcement by the CEO, and I disagree with him fundamentally here, that the recruitment ban on home health, the most essential piece of infrastructure in the community. So Mr. Murphy, who needs to come home with a bit of help when he gets home, there's now a freeze on recruitment home health. So he's going to be a bed blocker. So that makes no sense whatsoever. Healthcare assistance, a pivotal part of the ward infrastructure when a patient is in a ward and so on. There's essential work, ban on recruiting them. Mm. And then non-consultant hospital doctors, the only doctor. Yeah that is rostered 24-7 in some way, shape, or form in a hospital so they can go to a patient who develops an acute episode, assess that episode, and initiate uh, treatment to minimize and, 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 and resist that, that negative development. All those three people, yeah. three, three grades, are now subject to recruitment freezes. They failed in the past mm. when they imposed upon nurses and midwives. Actually, the, 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 the freeze they put on nursing and midwifery in 07-08, we had the crash, is a major reason why we have a shortage of Irish nurses for our service today, because we forced them to emigrate, and it became a, even more so than ever before, but a what, cultural n- norm to emigrate. What and, option, and, though, and, does the HSE have? I, I mean, it has well, it this huge deficit this year, and it'll have a, a deficit which is already going to be built into its no, estimates see, for Michael, next the year. Problem, what they do, but they, but, but just to make it, the point, pay makes up 42% of the overall budget. Which uh, is bound to. Yeah, so that's why uh, they're taking measures on recruitment over time uh, and yeah, agency. But that's not a crime. If you want services mm. to run, uh, not even 24-7, if you mm. want them to run 7 over 7, 8 to 8, mm. that's a, health is a labour-intensive business, Michael. But if they're short oh, 1.3 billion euro, what yes. option have they got? Well, well number one, they, they won't end up short 1.3 billion in the sense that the government will be forced to, to bring forward supplementary allocations in the course of 24. Mm. So in the end... Most, if not all, of that shortfall was made good. But between now and then, you get, in fairness to the management of HSE, and as you know, Michael, I've had many a disagreement with them over the years, but in fairness to them, they have to live each day with what they've been allocated that day. So they impose these flawed decisions of recruitment bans, which Mm. serve no patient. Absolutely no patient is having their care enhanced by a recruitment ban on junior doctors, healthcare assistance and home health.
Mm. Not one patient is having their care improved. And I would have thought most governments and most politicians would have as their first desire a health service that constantly meets the needs of patients. Well, they, th- those decisions do not enhance care. One, they delay care. They reduce the quality of care. They impose additional workloads on already overworked nurses and midwives and other staff in hospitals and long-term institutions, long-stay institutions. So no one wins out of this, Michael. Mm. Absolutely no one wins. And you have, you, you know, you, you have this row between political parties and so on. We have a plan, Michael. We have a plan. It's called Slauncher Care. Every political party signed up to Slauncher Care in 2017. It is a major plan, a major development plan. And it will put us in a much better place. It will take 10, 12, 15 years to get there. But that is the only plan that will deliver a 24-7, a properly staffed, properly resourced health service. The saddest thing about that is, is that the advisory council that I was on for, for social care, the implementation council, mm-hmm. its chair, a man called Tom Keane, a man who's no vested interest at all. You can, people always, you know, politicians and all the rest say, Someone like myself has a vested interest. You represented someone, people who work in the health service. Tom Keane lives in Canada. He came over in 07 and developed a national cancer care program, which everyone says is a success. He came over to help implement Slauncher Care. And in September 21, he wrote this to the then minister, or the current minister. Sadly, I've come to conclude that the necessary requirements for successfully implementing such major change are lacking. I believe that fundamental failures of governance, accountability, and commitment continue to make any chance of success impossible. Now, that was what a gentleman and a scholar who came to help us implement that plan said in September 21. And not one iota has changed since he was forced to resign and the Implementation Council was stood down. And what we have instead is this merry-go-round of political parties knocking off one another and, and so on, instead of Everybody agreeing we have a plan that should be cross-government. It should be without any design on which party brought it up because it's for the good of the people. But we don't have that. And what we have now is a health service that's underfunded in the short term, Mm. forced to make decisions which are very detrimental to patient care and politicians rowing about the fact that the CEO is telling the truth. How pathetic is that, Michael? And a lot of it out of the control of the CEO or the politicians, for that matter. The cost of medical and surgical supplies has gone up by 23%. Robert Watt, the General Secretary of uh, the Department of Health, also told the Oireachtas Committee that there's been an 18% increase in heat, power and light, 28% increase in laboratory costs, 27% increase in the cost of X-ray and imaging, and the 37 7% increase in the cost of catering. That's resulted in a bill of 573 million more than what had been forecast. Well, I don't think there's anyone in this country, based upon the cost of living crisis that's gone on the last 12 or 18 months, and our ESB bills and our grocery mm. bills and our diesel and so on, that hasn't realised, mother of God, everything has gone up through the roof. And the health service is a major consumer of all those utilities, all those things. It has to. It doesn't sleep. It has to. And more and more tests. As more and more people present, and the other thing that I think politicians, I I don't know whether they, they they don't intentionally not understand this, but they don't seem to grasp it is, that people presenting for care in 2023 are much sicker than they were before in that they tend to be older, 
they have comorbidities of more than one illness. They require more tests to, to work out what the exact diagnosis is. We have a more range of uh, interventions, which mm. are costly. You have to pay for them because we have to be a world-class health service. We, you've got to keep the lights on. You've got to keep the, 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 the wards heated. You've got to feed the patients and so on. All these things have gone up, and they have nothing to do per se with the frontline services and where the nurse mm. touches the patients or the healthcare assistant and so on. But they're all part of the essential foundations within which quality healthcare takes place. And the HSE has got to pay its bills. And, and the idea that all of this overrun is waste is, 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 is rubbish. Now, in fairness, Michael, I mean, I know I'm going on, mm. but in fairness, we have, y- you and I are old enough, I hesitate to say that to you, Michael, mm-hmm. but I'm old yep. enough to yep. remember yep. the health boards, mm. uh, which were abolished yep. in January mm. 05. Mm. Now, as we speak uh, in next year, um, they're going to establish six regional health authorities. Now, we can't call them health boards, Michael, because mm-hmm. that would be a terrible thing to do. But in yeah. reality, we've yeah. gone back to Ad- regional Admitting that it was a mistake health. to abolish them, absolutely, yeah. Of course it was. Yeah. But that will, that will, in my view, assist with uh, financial accountability being enhanced because essentially mm-hmm. Michael Reid will be the CEO of, of a regional health authority and you will be responsible for proper accounting in that area, but it is a manageable level of accountability. I mean, the, 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 the centrality of the HSE mm. and so everything having to go through it all end up, we ended up with layers of management which didn't enhance decision-making. Mm. We've got to slim down the HSE, if not abolish it, and we've got to empower those regional health authorities, require them to be financially accountable, mm. but also require them to ensure that the acute service and the community service and the special, the psychiatric service and the intellectual disability service all talk to each other in a seamless fashion within that geographical area. Do you believe, I do though, have that, hope. Do you believe, though, uh, uh, great to hear that you have hope, uh, but do you believe that this year we're going backwards? If you consider that we've a growing population, a huge increase in the population, we've effectively reduced budget for the health service and that's resulted in broken promises. You mentioned beds, 1,500 beds were promised by the Minister and it was clear listening to Robert Watt on Tuesday that none of them will be delivered next year. Well, people, well of course, do I believe that what we're going through, what the, the government decision they made for budget this year was wrong? Absolutely. Fundamentally wrong, fundamentally contrary to patient care, fundamentally injurious to those who work within the health system. Absolutely. And the saddest thing about it is, ultimately, they will have to increase that allocation because the health service can't turn patients away. And, and we've got to get past this idea of leaving people at home in misery. We've got to reach out to those who need care, mightn't be hospital care, but they need help in interventions. We've got to provide that. And what they're doing now with imposing a ban on home helps and so on is contrary to all of that. Absolutely all of that. But you have to remember, Michael, we've been down this road before. I mean, if we go back to 07, I know I'm giving people a history lesson, but this is how sad it is and how so annoying it is. When we go back to 07, we had this concept of co-location put forward by the then minister, Mary Harney, where there's going to be 200 bedded hospitals, private hospitals built in six locations. And at the same time, uh, we were going to um, enhance acute beds by 2,000. So we were going to end up with 3,000 odd additional beds. Now, the the politicians now are making a virtue of saying we've we've delivered 1,000 beds in the last number of years. 
Well, where's that compared to the 3,000? And that was when we had a population of 4.5 million. We now have a population of 5.1 million. And every year, 20,000 more people pass 65. And in that category, they require a little bit more health care, a little bit more monitoring to keep mm-hmm. them well, keep them independent and so on. That's what a dynamic, empowered economy does for the people who live within it. Okay. We're not doing that. All right. And we're making the same mistakes. And the passivity about the shortcomings of our health system, the fact that we don't have enough beds, the fact that they gloss over that. 582 people on trolleys yesterday. And if ever there was a, me- a measure of how a health service is undersized, is that a number of months ago, the HSE made this great announcement that their target for mm. the coming months yeah. Yeah. was to have an average of 320 people on trolleys. Yeah. Now, how is that an admission of uh, a claim for success? That we're going to target well, having an average of 320 people every day on a trolley, uh, the vast majority of whom will be over 70. Yeah, and, uh, now, that's an indictment uh, and that they won't the countries spend the more than and 24 hours on a trolley. Okay. Uh, it seems as though we're going to feel the consequences of the shortfall in funding. Uh, I think that seems uh, to be the informed view and it's always great to hear your very informed view, Liam Doran. Thank you indeed for joining us once again on the programme today. Liam Doran, former General Secretary of the INMO and former member of the Slauncher Care Implementation Advisory Council. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just in case uh, there was any confusion on the Israeli side. I am shocked by the misrepresentations by some of my statement yesterday in the Security Council as if, as if I was justifying acts of terror by Hamas. This is false. It was the opposite. In the beginning of my intervention yesterday, I clearly stated, and I quote, I have condemned unequivocally the horrifying and unprecedented 7 October acts of terror by Hamas in Israel. Nothing can justify the deliberate killing, injuring, and kidnapping of civilians or the launching of rockets against civilian targets. End quote. Indeed, I spoke of the grievances of the Palestinian people. And in doing so, I also clearly stated, and I quote, but the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas, end quote. And then I went on with my intervention referring all my positions on all aspects of the Middle East crisis. I believe it was necessary to set the record straight, especially out of respect to the victims and to their families. Thank you. That's the Secretary General of uh, the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, uh, making it clear to Israel that he condemned unequivocally the October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel and the subsequent shelling of civilians. Four Irish MEPs, Three independents, Luke Ming Flanagan, Mick Wallace and Claire Daly, along with Sinn Féin MEP Chris McManus, failed, however, to support a motion that condemned Hamas for the attack on Israel. And we're joined by Sinn Féin's Chris McManus now. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. 
morning to your listeners. Can you explain to us uh, why you didn't support this motion, which also called for the elimination of the terrorist organisation Hamas? Right, well, this is coming from a headline from a national newspaper yesterday, and in the words of my colleague Matt Carty, who tweeted the headline uh, from that national paper, he said it was either woefully misinformed or deliberately disingenuous. So I, I need to give a little bit of context on what was actually voted on. Right. Uh, there was a substantive resolution on the uh, Gaza And that newspaper, situation. just for the sake of our listeners, was the Irish Independent. Yeah. Hmm. So there was a substantive resolution uh, on the uh, situation in, in Gaza and Israel. And there was dozens, if not hundreds, of amendments uh, that came in from all across the political spectrum. Uh, and I supported every separate vote condemning Hamas's actions on October the 7th. So I'm very much on the record uh, regarding Hamas's actions. It's there in black and white on the European Parliament uh, record, and I'm unequivocal in, in condemnation of Hamas's actions. Uh, I also proposed two changes to the resolution uh, in the European Parliament last week. And the first one was uh, that the Parliament would call for a ceasefire. And that's very much in line with the position adopted by your own doll uh, and very much uh, alongside uh, the comments of the Secretary General of the, U- yeah. of the UN who you uh, just uh, broadcast a few of his words. Uh, and that was rejected by the Parliament. Now, anybody who's really serious uh, about addressing the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza is calling for a ceasefire. And the second thing I proposed was in regards to the right to self-defence. Uh, and that was that we proposed that the right to self-defence in Israel must be in line with international law. And that, too, was also rejected uh, by the majority of the parliament. I think both of these were moderate proposals, especially the call for an immediate ceasefire. Our own parliament had called for it and agreed to it, both government and opposition parties alike, uh, the evening before. So I, I, what I want to take is, so what did I actually vote against? I believe was misrepresented in that national paper. The final vote was, a, was as again, was a substantive resolution with all these amendments uh, voted on, some included, others not. I do not believe it was balanced and it failed to show leadership by the European Parliament. It wasn't balanced because while it rightly condemned Hamas, it failed to offer a single line of criticism of Israeli actions whether it was the continued occupation or the apartheid or breaches of international law, whether in the last two weeks or indeed previous decades. And it, it didn't show leadership because it didn't call for an immediate ceasefire. And again, that's the dog's position, our own parliament, mm. an immediate ceasefire. And I'm just actually surprised that not all the Irish MEPs didn't support that call for an immediate ceasefire. I'm unequivocal on this. I think there needs to be an immediate ceasefire now. I need, there needs to be application of international law on all sides. Uh, I think very much that there needs to be a roadmap because I think the, the Palestinians have a right to expect those of us who work within the international community, and that's me in the European Parliament uh, and the European Union, to stand up for them in line with international law. And instead, the Parliament gave the green light to whatever the Israeli government uh, and the Israeli Defence Forces have committed uh, and plan to further commit. Do you believe? So do, you believe that Hamas, Union, do you believe that Hamas is uh, the enemy of Palestinian people? Well, I think what Hamas done, as I said, in October the 7th mm. was, was horrific yeah. uh, and, and barbaric mm. in that regard. And I condemn it quite widely. I think what's happening now, the collective punishment uh, of 
It was inevitable. It was, it was inevitable. Of, of, of millions, yeah. But, uh, I my, mean, my sh- sh- of, surely Hamas knew that that was the case. Uh, and that they knew that Palestinian people would be the collateral damage, if you like, that over 5,000 Palestinians uh, would die. Uh, and that's just the beginning of for the story, because no doubt Hamas is preparing for the Israeli ground offensive uh, and there'll be many booby traps for the Israelis but they're also looking at the other potential fronts uh, in the West Bank and as we've been hearing today in Lebanon Yeah and as I said to you I I, I continue and I I will alongside all Irish people be outraged and condemned by the horrific attacks on Israeli civilians by Hamas uh, on the 7th of October I will state though again that does not mean there's justification for the onslaught that's now being rained down. No, but do you believe? But by, the question but, is, do you believe that Hamas betrayed the Palestinians, its own people? Well, I can't. I, I, I don't understand what the motivation of Hamas was, and I don't understand. Their this, it was to start in, a, a war. Regard. It was to start a war. I mean, it was inevitable. Anybody who has uh, read a newspaper over the last 40, 50 years or, or longer, uh, if you've been alive that long, will know. Uh, how or would have expected how Israel would respond. Yeah, and as I said, I, I proposed that the right of self-defence of Israel had to be in line with international law. And we're not seeing that because Israelis' bombardment uh, of Gaza is not defence. The mm. killing of thousands of innocent children is not defensive. Mm. It, what we're seeing is a brutally violent offensive military campaign. And, and you agree that Hamas was in breach of international law and is guilty of war crimes? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And all sides should be held accountable under under international law. But what we need to be doing is looking, is looking at the next steps. Uh, what we need to be trying to find a way is that we have an immediate ceasefire. The uh, EU Council is meeting today, actually, and uh, the EU heads of government need mm. to show leadership uh, in this regard and try to become honest brokers. Because mm. unfortunately, the EU has positioned itself not very well yeah. over the last... And we heard the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar say that Ireland will be arguing that point and calling for an immediate ceasefire. Abs- absolutely, because Ireland has a, has a tradition of showing solidarity uh, with the Palestinian people in that regard. And I think it's important that, because at the end of the day, we have to be working towards finding a just and durable peace uh, in the region. And that ultimately means is, is that we have to find uh, in, impartial and independent international uh, agencies and countries that will act to try and bring all parties together, to try and find a roadmap to peace negotiations, to try and ensure that we have a just and durable peace in the region. And ultimately, that we see a free and independent and sovereign Palestine where the Palestinian people are free to make their own decisions and choose their own future. Do you believe there's any prospect of that, given the situation that we're in, given the response of the Israelis and the support that Israel is receiving from the majority of Western countries? Well, one must never lose hope. And, and, and I was reminded yesterday, listening to it all, the debate of uh, Matty Atasari, who was a very good friend of our country, when we were looking to uh, ensure that we had stability and peace, where he said, peace is in the end the question of will. All conflicts can be settled and there are no excuses for allowing them to become eternal. 
So what we need to see is leadership at an international level try to try and salvage something from what we have seen over the last uh, number of weeks that is positive, that we can try and start to begin at looking at a roadmap to true and meaningful peace negotiations and that ultimately, as I said, we have a just and durable peace in the region. All right. Uh, I'm not sure how quickly we'll get there, but I'm sure everybody agrees uh, with you and hopes uh, alongside you that that will be the ultimate outcome of this. Many thanks uh, for joining us on the programme today. That is Sinn Féin MEP Chris McManus. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, you have been in touch with us today. Many thanks uh, for your call or your text, as uh, the case may be. A text coming to us uh, from somebody who says the HSE is wasting astonishingly large amounts of money on being overstaffed in administrative areas. Hampered by complex trade union arrangements, there are hundreds of staff doing little or nothing because nobody can be sacked by the HSE. Thank you indeed. I think that's a a perception that a number of people have. Uh, I'm wondering if anybody in the HSE is doing little or nothing and how they feel about that perception. Uh, Another text uh, from Bernadette. I think Bernadette has a a vendetta against home help workers uh, because uh, she sent us a, a similar message yesterday. And she says, uh, I think it's following Liam Doran's comments this morning on the importance of home help, that you wouldn't be able to stay at home if you had home help because they can't do anything for you. They only wash a person. People would have to pay someone to come in and do the other work in the house or do it themselves. Thanks, Bernadette. I think uh, a lot of home helps would like to be able to do more and would like to be able to spend more time with people. I think that hour that they spend is being reduced to 45 minutes, isn't it? Uh, But I think uh, that they are very valuable people in themselves and they do help to keep people out of hospital. And uh, I think uh, people who have home help uh, get to know and uh, have a very good relationship with the people who come into a system like that. Uh, Paddy Duffy says, God help anyone who gets seriously ill this winter because the government won't. Thanks Paddy Paddy, I I hope you're wrong uh, uh, but I can't argue with you at the moment. Uh, A WhatsApp message uh, from someone who says, Hi Michael, I'm a 22 year old student. Two months ago I was in Palestine volunteering in a refugee camp. What's happening in the region now is uh, genocide right in front of our eyes and I hope that Ireland and the EU will very soon send a message to the international community that the Israeli apartheid regime cannot be allowed to continue. Thanks uh, indeed uh, for your message. Uh, Good to hear from uh, somebody uh, who's uh, so active, uh, so young. Uh, We were talking about unaccompanied drivers. Alfie in touch saying, the last thing that we need, Michael, is a flood of learner drivers on motorways to compound an already overcrowded road system, given that a lot of people who have full licences don't know or obey the rules that uh, along with a lack of police to enforce the law. 
Thank you, Alfie, who says it's chaotic. Uh, and Margaret says, if you can't get a driving test, what are you supposed to do? How do you get to college? How do you get to work? How do you get to see your family? How do you get to the hospital? Especially if you live in rural Ireland. It's a ridiculous mess. And because of the situation that we are in, then those who are on the waiting list to sit a test should be the subject of an amnesty and be given a licence automatically. Well, thank you indeed for sharing your thoughts with us. Our phone number 041. 1983 text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing, the advice from the Irish government is to leave the Lebanon. Let's speak to Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, former member of uh, the Defence Forces. Uh, a very good morning to you, Senator Crockwell. Thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. This advice doesn't uh, apply to the Irish Defence Forces, but it certainly highlights what is a most worrying situation. Uh, good morning, Michael, <clears throat> and good morning to your listeners. Yes, it is the situation in the Middle East is deteriorating uh, fast, and uh, I would advise those who have relatives in the Middle East, uh, in Lebanon, to uh, get out of there as quickly as they can. Right, uh, and the Irish government uh, doesn't uh, issue advisories like this uh, willy-nilly. Uh, there's obviously serious reason for concern, apart from the speculation that there already has been that the conflict in Gaza could be the first of three separate fronts with the West Bank and the Lebanon uh, being drawn into all of this. Is that what you're envisaging at this stage? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the escalation can take place very, very quickly, as you know, Michael. These things can deteriorate quickly. And uh, the situation is that uh, the government wants our citizens out of there. And quite rightly, our defence forces will not be moving. Our defence forces are part of a UN group of over 10,000 troops. We've been through this before in 1978 and 1982 and in the 1990s. Uh, So our troops know what's expected of them. They're highly trained and they're ready to take on whatever role they have to take on. Uh, How dangerous a situation could it be for Irish troops? Look, it's very dangerous right now. And uh, let's not um, place place them in any more danger by uh, um, adverting to how dangerous it might get. But it is a very volatile situation, Michael, and... Uh, we don't know from hour to hour what way things will go. And you've quite rightly pointed out there are three axes there. Uh, there is uh, the to the north, there is the, to the south in Gaza, and there is the, then into Lebanon. And Irish citizens have really only two ways out. Um, it's unlikely they'd get to Tel Aviv to fly out, so Beirut Airport is one possibility. But there's a likelihood that that would close in the very near future, which means then they would have to drive north to Turkey uh, to get out. They're certainly not going out through Syria. Um, so uh, it is a very volatile situation. Uh, undoubtedly so. Uh, and as you say, it could get a whole lot worse. Uh, we're talking about Hezbollah in um, Lebanon, uh, which is backed by Iran, uh, which sends shivers down my spine. Yeah, look, I mean, the Iranians as of right now are not engaging to the level that maybe Hamas thought they would. I think the the um, initial attack by Hamas was designed 
to invoke or to provoke uh, Israel into a brutal response, uh, hoping that that would turn the world against Israel. Uh, I think it has failed. I think it has failed to gain the support from countries like uh, Iran. So I, I, I think uh, Hamas got it wrong. Uh, Islamic Jihad has got it wrong. And I think Hezbollah might be slow to get involved. But it's, as I say, a very volatile situation. You don't know how it will change from one minute to the next. Mm. The, the reprisal in Gaza City is pretty horrific, uh, to say the very least. But having said that... Uh, Hamas knew exactly what they were doing when yep. they launched the original attack. Well, I, I think they did, and they were trying to provoke this response. And given how they must have known that that response was inevitable, do you believe uh, that the Israeli armed forces should be hesitant before launching a ground attack? I think to move into Gaza City uh, in a ground attack will be extremely dangerous. Um, uh, the, the the overall uh, destruction, if you want, of Gaza, Gaza City now has made it a very, very dangerous place. Uh, I think the Israelis will be slow to go in there on a ground attack, but I don't think that they would be prevented from it if they think they have, in, in military terms, softened up the ground for a ground attack. Mm. So um, it's hard to tell right now. There's a lot of pressure on Israel to be more tempered in their response to calm things down a bit. But we must also remember that the Israeli people, particularly the Jewish people, uh, are are very much of the mind they're not going to suffer a second Holocaust for anybody. Mm. Hamas will be expecting Israeli troops. And they will have prepared. For, and they will have prepared for it. I'm sure they've uh, very serious preparations in place uh, to stop that assault. Absolutely, Michael. Uh, you once again, you read it very well. Hamas have, have uh, worked long and hard to prepare what they've just started. So I think uh, a ground assault is going to be met with God knows what unforeseen traps are waiting for uh, young Israeli soldiers who are marched in there. It is um, it is an excess of violence in there right now, and Hamas have no difficulty mm. using the civilian population as a shield, as we have seen. Mm. Uh, um, and that makes it even more difficult. The Israelis already have blood on their hands with thousands of people mm. dead, as Hamas has. Uh, do the Israelis want to raise the ire of the entire world by going in, slaughtering anything that's on two feet? I'm not sure that they uh, do. Well, I do have some sympathy for them. Yeah, well, that, that's my next question, because I, I think uh, if they go in, they're going to encounter landmines and booby traps and snipers and all sorts of things. Uh, but... Uh, aside from that, what would the Israeli approach approach be? Would it be to shoot anything on two legs? I think when you're in a situation uh, with terrorists, terrorists hide in the open amongst the population. So um, if, if, if I were a young soldier, as I once was, uh, and I'm moving into a place like Gaza City, I'm going to be at a very heightened level of awareness, and the chances are somebody appears in front of me, I'm going to shoot them. Mm. And so, I think that's the, that's the uh, way it's going Whether to that's happen. a member of Hamas or a, a civilian, man, woman or, or child, and I think 40% of the 5,000 deaths or, or so uh, have been children. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you must remember the people that are going in there from Israel are human beings. They're young people. Uh, they are going to be extremely nervous. They're going to be at a very heightened level of awareness. And they see a movement, they take a shot and they find out afterwards it was the child. And they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. But it won't stop them doing it. Mm. And uh, that's why I think everybody is asking that, you know, we step back from the abyss right now yeah. uh, and calm things down. But I see no appetite uh, from the Israelis to calm things down right Unfortunately now. Unfortunately not. Gerard, I have to leave there. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Independent uh, Senator Gerard Crockwell. That's it for our show today. Maggie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control jar. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.